the New Zealand Tech Podcast. Brought to you by Gorilla Technology. Proactive and strategic IT. Greetings and welcome along to the New Zealand Tech Podcast. We are at episode 396 and today our guest on the show, Adrian Wills. Welcome along, Adrian. Good afternoon. Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining the show. Now, maybe you can fill listeners in on where you fit into the big wide world of tech. Uh, yes, I think I'm, I am qualify as a generalist these days. I've kind of worked in the tech industry in New Zealand for a bit over 10 years now and dipped my hands in many, many things. So um, I'm currently the founder of a company called Trickle. We have a, a platform for bar owners to help track their beer and manage their bars a bit more efficiently. Very interested in hearing more about that, and uh, we w- we'll do so later on in the in the sh- in the show. And um, you, yeah, you can you can fill us in on all of the, the details and uh, what you've been selected for recently, as as well as as part of that. But uh, let's jump into uh, the news. Um, first up, I saw a little uh, snippet on um, Chorus's um, service provider website. Uh, around the fact they're trialling 10 gigabits per second uh, fibre or ultra-fast broadband. That sounds kind of nice. does. I can think of many ways to consume it. Yeah. A little bit of 4K streaming or something like that. Um, I played it at PlayStation too, so the uh, the new speeds will always be welcome. Nice for uh, nice for moving moving lots of uh, lots of data around. Yes. I mean, you know, I, I look back when I first tried uh, USB, uh, ultra-fast broadband, and uh, you know it was reasonably early on, and you know did a bit of a review for it for for the podcast. And you know, I remember how quickly you could download. Uh, I guess it must have been a probably a, a DVD sort of sized you know block block of data. Yeah. And it was probably an update from uh, from Apple. I think it was a, you know a, a, a few gigs, and um, yeah, just. Mind being blown that that would come down and I don't know whatever it was you know two minutes or five minutes or or, or something but yeah. you know now we've got yeah gigabit is you know pretty much gen- generally um, yeah the norm for a lot of people yeah um, but ten gigabit you know compared to that initial ultra fast broadband at hundred megabits per second which was pretty good I got to say yeah uh, you, and, you couldn't and, forget how good you it was. know still um, it compared to many, you know, many many places, still is very good. And then ten gigabits, you know, well, hundred hundred <laughs> extra hundred megabits. It's uh, trying to think of extra things to download. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so, well, I, you know, I think it's it's pleasing that uh, that that stuff's going on, and hopefully that's a, a signal that it won't be uh, won't be ten years away until we actually uh, have. Uh, 10, 10 gigabits per second uh, available. I I would have to um, imagine that you know there there are some particular use cases, and and I think uh, yeah, chorus were highlighting some certain situations in terms of it being particularly relevant. You know, schools that are sharing you know one one internet connection yeah, right. across a few thousand students. That's you know I think a, probably a, it's fair to say that a gigabit connection amongst that many users uh, is probably going to be pushed to its limits a little bit more than what you'd be able to do in most households, right? Yes. Or, or, yes. A, or a small business, and then you've got your big, your bigger businesses where you've got a, a lot more users wanting to wanting to do more. You'd you'd expect there to be more demand in those situations. Yeah, definitely. Those operating system updates are always like a good benchmark for those sorts of speeds. I think because. You open up a new computer or whatever, and then it's like, oh, I just need to download this 
three gigabyte update so i'll see you in an hour yeah Uh, when when you think of uh and i don't know have you got ultra fast broadband where you you live yep and what what speed are you on uh, I've got the gigabit connection. You've got the gigabit, yeah. right. So when that first came out, it was maybe, a, say, a 50% price premium. It's, yeah, it's come down now. It's yes. maybe another yeah. $20 or $30 or, yeah, depend, depends on the internet service provider you're with. But if you were offered uh, 10 gigabit today for, say, an extra $50 a month, yeah, if your devices could yeah, handle, because most of our, you know, we don't have you know, a Wi-Fi that can really keep up with it. We don't have ten gigabit, uh, you know, net, network, you know, even cable network connections, and in most of our devices, I mean, most of them, uh, you know, looking at your MacBook there and uh, the the HP I'm using uh, today. Uh, yeah, we don't even have Ethernet built into these. No, things. no, that's so right. You're fully relying on on Wi-Fi. But if everything could keep up, would you be uh, keen to give it a go? Oh, if everything could keep up, definitely. Yeah. Um, I, like PlayStation games, updates for those. Those are far more regular than operating systems. You sit down on your Tuesday, finally think you'll settle in for an hour of games, and then it's a 12 gigabyte wait. But yeah, I, I don't even think of PlayStation. If the, yeah, if that like, stuff could come down in 12 seconds yeah, and, and yeah. away you go. Yeah. yeah, I'd be a lot happier. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, good, good, good times ahead. Now, also on this uh, fast... Um, internet connectivity track is uh, is is Rians and you know, they they signed uh, the agreement that really made the um, the new uh, internet connection to New Zealand uh, possible though you know one of the uh, one of the first or, or, or foundation uh, customers for the new cable that joins uh, New Zealand up to uh, up to North America the uh, Hawaii uh, cable um, but it seems like they've run into a, a spot of bother recently with uh, three of their uh, their, their clients are, are, are terminating uh, their contract and of course this has been sort of the considered the um, yeah the the connection for universities and research institutes to get the very very fastest uh, broadband and uh, also there's sort of, you know sort of a somewhat private network be- between uh, the institutions and the you know crown owned just it seemed to me like this was sort of the only option for for those uh, entities and uh, it was going to serve them better than than anything else but of course the market moves so quickly and now we've found uh, Canterbury University, Victoria uh, University, and uh, I think it's Lincoln University uh, that have uh, yeah, basically exited from uh, from from Rians and their uh, their massive internet pipes that they're offering to uh, uh, to each of them, and um, and and you know going down their their own own track. Yeah, it's always a bit of a worry when people say, "Ah, oh, we've kind of got a better idea ourselves," rather than sticking to the specialists. I think, um, and I always thought I thought universities had lots of money, so it's hard to hear the quibble about price. But um, yeah, it will be interesting to see what they can do uh, between them on their own, and mm. whether they mm. get left behind. Yeah, well, I mean, it might put some, you know, maybe maybe there was some necessary pressures there that were, you know, needed for Rians and, uh, you know, certainly, um, yeah, not, nothing I'd uh, I'd heard about, but, um, you know, reality is that the, the universities, like every other organisation, um, they've, they've got to make the calls that they feel are, are right for them. Hmm. And, uh, yeah, maybe, maybe, you know, this... Uh, 
this will lead to some change or or maybe it's just actually how far we've come and um you know there are there are maybe a, a few less benefits of reans than there, there once was but uh I mean, everything I've I've heard sort of spoken about Rians in the past, and of course we had their uh, chief executive Nicole Ferguson on the uh, on the podcast. You know, in, in recent months, all the things have been very very positive, and uh, you know, it's really cool the way you can go online and actually see all the all the uh, live sort of traffic from uh, that's going across their network. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I guess there's some somewhat commercial uh, realities at, at at play here as well. Yeah, I hope it doesn't come at the expense of internet for the rest of us either um if they're all gobbling up our bandwidth then they're not going to be popular with anyone no. well i think we've now got some some very solid connections between new zealand and uh and and the, and the rest of the world and uh, you know i hope we will we'll continue to um uh, see that apparently uh Rian's, you know they're testing um the waiki cable uh, at the at the moment and uh you know that's that's uh, in place, and we'll we'll start to see, hopefully, some um, you know some good benefits of that as as things go go forward. But um, look, 10, 10 gigabits, and um, you know other nice ways of getting uh, internet nice and fast. Five uh, G, it's uh, it's all good news. Gener- generally, getting better in most regards. Mm. So hopefully, this isn't a, a damper on the the action, or we don't see these universities having their students' internet grind to a halt. That'd be no good. No, no. Yeah, especially uh, you know uh, in halls of residence and whatnot that, that they have uh, for you know people that are gaming during the evenings and doing that really important stuff. Oh no, they're all word docs and spreadsheets. I'm sure, aren't they? <laughs> um, now on to another area that. Um, I hadn't really dived into uh, too much until very recently, and this was something we probably talked about on the podcast uh, maybe three and a half, I don't know, four and a half years ago. I remember going to uh, CES, Consumer Electronics Show in, in Las Vegas, on one occasion where, uh, I can't remember what they call themselves, it might be the USB forum, but basically the, the working group that you know designs and publishes the, the USB specification. And they were showing off some some laptop that was being powered by a cable running out of the monitor. It was a USB cable, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, there was there was yeah plenty of juice coming through that cable and enough to uh, to charge the the laptop. And you know, I guess to also cover display. So it was just a a very it looked like a very easy sort of way of of docking a um, a, a laptop to a to a monitor. Um, well, we're finally there. I think it's it's probably been the last um, maybe six to nine months that monitors have been coming onto the market that actually do this stuff. Mm. And it's with uh, USB-C and, you know, with your, your MacBook uh, there that's, you know, perfect case of a machine that can plug into one of these uh, new monitors and uh, and away you go. So you, you dock in and I remember, you know, one of, one of my... Um, Frustrations or, or complaints about the new MacBooks, you know, was with with losing their and you know I think yeah with with losing the full size USB ports and mm. uh, the varying other things that went away um, that 
a good docking solution from Apple for me would, you know, in most parts sort of address that. Um, yeah, maybe a, a dongle or two when you're travelling, and I think that's part and parcel of, you know, going to slimmer devices. Yes, that's right. Um, but I thought, look, from a business perspective, it's actually really good to just be able to dock in, and Apple never really covered that very well. Yeah. Uh, so this has now been, it's been done for them. They don't have to do anything. Finally. Just, just plug in. Um, I, I've tried uh, recent days, I think, three different uh, USB-C monitors from Philips. Uh, one of them is, a, I think, about a 24-inch, a 25, and a 32. And the, and I'm pretty sure they all worked really well with the MacBook. Um, the HP Elite Book that I've been um, using, and there's a you know, variety of uh, vendors that you know, are making laptops or tablets with USB-C uh, connections for power and charging and usually they need to have um, Thunderbolt to you know take best advantage of these these monitors or to work at all mm. um, but interestingly the the um, the elite book that I was using um, on one of the monitors just wouldn't charge at all which kind of made the whole thing somewhat somewhat uh, pointless really yes. um, so that was the, th- the 32 inch uh, one so there will be some variations where uh, the USB uh, power delivery which is you know the mechanism that has a chit chat between whatever's delivering the, the power in this case the monitor uh, and then the, the, the end device be it a smartphone or a laptop or a tablet they have a little bit of a chit chat over that connection and work out you know negotiate the appropriate sort of um, power to be pushing down that cable and there's obviously uh, something in this case doesn't doesn't work quite right yeah, yeah. Um, but for the others it works well so you know I've, uh, I've got one of those set up at home now and look it's it's actually just so super slick and easy to you know plug either uh, macbook or, or the hp onto that uh, onto that cable and you know, even if I just want to charge the the thing, I can leave it there and charge, and yep. be in the other room. I want the big screen, keyboard, and mouse, Ethernet connection. It's all there um, in in the monitor. Mm. And uh, boy, it's uh, it's really slick. Yeah, it sounds like just the kind of thing I've been waiting for because I'm like I work from home, but I don't really have the proper workstation. Mm. And part of that is yeah, I've totally carrying around dongles all the time yeah. and. I'll like take it away and then I leave it somewhere and so I can't come home and work on the lap, on the monitor and all that sort of thing. So one fixed solution, one plug, leave everything else connected to that is exactly what I need. And the other ni- the nicety to it is, you know, that this should be a reasonably long-term solution and you know docks often need replacing and they're quite expensive in themselves whereas having this functionality built into a monitor actually seems reasonably cost effective you're not having to buy a specific hp dock or microsoft surface dock or whatever uh it's this is just industry standard so Mm. Um, that's rather nice, although obviously it takes a little bit of money out of out of you know some vendor's pocket somewhere somewhere <laughs> along the yeah. a, along the way. But uh, I've got you know no complaints about that stuff. No, no, Belkin will be having a little bit of a tiz, but <laughs> um, so yeah, so that, that's kind of cool. Now, oh, the other thing as well as the um, 
the various laptops and um, you know in fact there is quite a mix and some of these have a traditional docking port uh, on them in terms of the, the Windows based machines so uh, you know for instance some of the HP machines have got a, a yeah a traditional docking port to um, you know to, to HP's um, dock, ultra dock, or whatever they 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 call them, um, as well as a USB C, and you can actually dock with uh, with either. So because mm-hmm. that USB C port is so small, it's pretty easy just to drop it in there, even if you've got a proprietary uh, docking port. And uh, Microsoft with their Surface products. They've uh, they've got one product right now. We'll talk about the new product that they've, they've um, just sent through the announcement in the last few minutes on. Um, but their Surface Book Two product that has their their proprietary docking port, but it does have a USB C uh, connection on it as well. So they've already you know got one product established that, that works with that, which is uh, is really really nice. Um, but um, moving on from that, there's the smartphone uh, side of things. So mm. um, Samsung sent across their latest uh, Dex dock, which is the little uh, USB-C dock for the Galaxy uh, S9 and S9 Plus. Uh, and, you know, I've been playing around with, uh, with that and also with uh, Huawei and their uh, their P20 Pro and trying both of those out on these USB-C monitors to see what, what works and what, what doesn't. Um, yeah, some mixed, uh, mixed results. One thing I like around the uh, Huawei is you can just plug that phone straight in to a USB-C monitor mm. and it will it'll, it recognises what's going on and it, it boots up their uh, EMUI, which is their their interf- their their uh, I guess their, their their skin, but it's a yeah basically looks like a, a Linux and not too far off a Windows type uh, mm. type desktop. Uh, that one just comes straight up with the Samsung. You need the Dex dock for it to sort of trigger their their desktop style interface. Um, but both of them are pretty good. I think that the Samsung for me. Just seemed a, a little bit, uh, um, a little bit more seamless with firing up apps. Uh, the Huawei was sort of, you know, have its pre-selected apps that are designed to work at that size, which was a, a reasonably short list. Mm. And then it would sort of warn you about other apps like Microsoft Office, which I would have thought, well, look, Office is actually, you know, if it, if it were. A, in the web world, we call it a responsive app. I mean, it, it adjusts to whatever screen size you throw it at. Uh, and I went so far as um, spending a day where my only computer uh, was going to be one of these phones. And uh, well, I, I landed on the Samsung with the Dex dock. It just seemed to yeah, it seemed to work a little a little bit easier. Um, and look, it was actually pretty amazing how, how good it was there were a few things that i uh, had to do and it, it wasn't you know i had meetings and other things on during the day so you know i wasn't sitting in in front of the the screen the whole time but uh i had um a hiring platform that uh, that we use it's an online software as a service product and i needed to uh, needed to upload a video as as part of that and so we jumped into the the studio here recorded a short video uh you know save that to a cloud location then just in the browser we were able to basically go through pull that through and it, and it worked just like it would have done you know on on a standard mac or windows computer in terms of finding that file uploading upload preview it um it was very very slick, and then another thing I had to do was with a uh, a word document, and it needed to be PDF'd and sent off, 
and that whole experience worked you know flawlessly as well so it wasn't just sitting inside say one app trying to do something in that ecosystem or just in a browser it was you know interacting with other files and yeah. and so on and um yeah really nice you know the just looking like a pretty standard operating system flicking from you know varying apps and and you know bits and pieces uh you know windows are different sizes rather than sort of full screen sort of experience you you're used to on a smartphone mm. um a few oddities it's you know it's fair to say um the user interfaces of of these apps aren't totally tuned so you know things like there are things missing you know in terms of zooming on you know your display in terms of the size of toolbars but in terms of something that's sort of probably good enough for your you know say you're traveling and you need to do a bit of work while you're away probably good enough for a lot of those scenarios uh it depends on what you do but pretty you know basic standard stuff um quite workable so yeah i wouldn't i wouldn't yet say hey i'm throwing away all my devices and i'm just (laughs) just gonna uh live off an android um you know uh, smartphone but if you you know if you really needed to you probably could yeah i could imagine Uh, someone working across multiple offices um you know like software companies i've worked for in the past it's there's a bunch of kind of workstations they're all just sitting there and mm. they have a monitor that anyone can come along and plug into if you're at a, a business that's organized enough then there's a bunch of these stations and the people at certain levels just pick up their phone travel to the next office mm. sit down plug in a phone and they can pretty much just get all their work done it's a pretty attractive idea mm. 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 so yeah i mean from a productivity perspective i would say you you know you're you're not going to be able to achieve the same as what you achieve on a on a full blown device if you've got you know complexities to your work but for for basic stuff smartphone docked into a nice monitor hey it's workable we're laughing um now the other product that's going to work with uh the USB-C uh monitor is this new Surface from Microsoft which uh they've they've just announced today it's called the Surface Go tablet uh 10-inch screen uh launched in the US for uh 399 US dollars uh, and of course those prices always exclude tax so um Microsoft have just confirmed the New Zealand price will be uh 699 which Actually, yeah, land, lands um, um, pretty close to the US price once you realise we've got fifteen uh, percent GST on mm-hmm. there. Um, but it's coming in at around uh, around half the price of of you know, what was Microsoft's sort of lowest end uh, Surface product before. Uh, yes, it's a it's a um, not as powerful a device as their as their full-blown uh surface surfaces uh and and it relies on a on a chip that uh is you know what we would have previously called an an atom um but look i imagine there'll be a you know a bunch of scenarios where uh, um you know where this is this is a good and suitable device for uh, students, I think this is the sort of thing at this sort of price uh, for anyone that sort of likes handwriting in meetings. Uh, excellent extra, you know, extra device you take into your meetings. You can do handwriting. You might not even necessarily need the, you know, the keyboard. 
but you might add on the stylus. The stylus and the keyboard are all are all extras, as seems to be the way. Um, <laughs> that lowest price point is uh, is a device with uh, four gigs of RAM and a sixty four gig SSD. Uh, haven't seen confirmation on the New Zealand pricing yet for their higher end model, which is double the RAM and and uh, double the the storage. Uh, yeah, so eight gigs of RAM and one hundred and twenty eight gig um, SSD. Um, all the accessory pricing, um, although that may, may have come through on on email in in the last uh, last few minutes, but uh, yeah, look, looks to be a reasonably uh, reasonably compelling offering, and and really helps Microsoft get uh, get down to a, a lower price point with what looks like a a pretty nicely designed product. Yeah, good little size. I mean, I've used my wife's got the eleven inch MacBook Air. Yeah. And I actually really like the size yeah. of that. I've had to yeah. use it a couple of yeah. times, and um, it's certainly not having to lug something around. They're so small and light. Um, and just looking at their lineup now, like the Surface lineup, it's they're finally kind of doing something right in that regard. It looks kind of like they've got a computer for each each and everybody's purpose. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's good to see they've they've done that, especially given that Apple have arguably. Uh, well, drop the ball. Not, maybe not drop the ball. Slip behind uh, in the lineup. You know, a, a lot of the machines are kind of overdue for updates. So um, Microsoft are going for their lunch. Mm, mm. Well, competition competition is good, and the Surface products, although they've had a few hiccups along the way with you know some reliability and and docking type issues, Microsoft seem to have you know, mostly. Uh, got through those things are generally releasing some some pretty good devices uh, and and look they don't have the lim- the well they don't have quite the same uh, you know, challenges they had with uh, some of their their previous devices they're running Intel chips so they can yeah you know, they can run you know any any Windows app they do come with um, window Windows 10 uh, with this s mode enabled which means your uh, the default is you're locked down to you know, apps through the mm-hmm. um, through the store. But you can turn that off and install any any app that uh, uh, would normally run on a on a Windows uh, type uh, device. So um, yeah, pretty pretty flexible. Yep, not super powerful, but um, there are lots of things that don't don't need a you know, an i seven uh, processor yeah. and uh, and yeah lo- loads of RAM or anything. So uh, yeah, it's. Uh, it's quite good, and the other thing I noticed uh, recently is Microsoft have have ditched their other Surface models with four gigs of RAM, and they've just bumped them all up to a minimum of uh, minimum of eight gigs. And while while there is you know the low the lowest end one here is just four gigs of RAM, uh, you know they're recognising that um, a bit more RAM is uh, is helpful with the size of apps and operating yeah. systems today. So that's kind of good. Yeah, we'll be interesting to see what that uh, price difference is for that upgrade because it's probably pretty tempting. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, looking at these, uh, looking at the prices, an extra hundred and fifty US dollars. So by the time it hits us here in New Zealand, maybe that's that's two fifty. So yeah. you might be up for yeah nine hundred and nine hundred fifty. It's still um, a pretty affordable machine for for what it is. Um, add add on your if you want the stylus and the and the keyboard as well. Uh, yes, you, true. You know, you could easily be up around uh, say I don't know thirteen thirteen hundred uh, dollars there. But look, that's a device that you should get a, a you know a reasonable life out of uh, 
too. So yeah, that's probably not uh, not too bad in terms of bang for bang for buck. But there will always be uh, yeah cheaper options in the market. Yeah. Uh, now there's there's been this uh, rescue going on in um, you know the the youngsters in this cave in uh, in Thailand and you know as we speak the results have been you know incredibly uh, pleasing. Uh, but I saw Elon Musk sort of, you know, jumping in there to uh, to save the day, and of course, uh, you know, he got in, involved uh, with uh, Puerto Rico. That you know, they had the disaster uh, there last year, and uh, you know, he was offering to uh, to help, and uh, you know, did get involved um, with with um, you know power there and. Um, Tesla batteries and uh, yeah then yesterday I, I saw that um, him and his team uh, well maybe more of his team than him I, you know I don't know how these things fit together exactly <laughs> but uh, uh, have uh, have developed a, a what's being referred to as a kid-sized uh, submarine that they're able to squeeze uh, squeeze somebody into this sort of uh, me- metal uh, or whatever it is. I don't know if it's, it's metal or if it's, um, you know, some some other material or, or It's the same or material composite. as the Falcon 9 or something. Yeah, like that, or close yeah. to it. Um, so um, the, the idea is... Um, uh, that yeah, they they can fit somebody in it and um, um, you know get get them get them out. So uh, yeah, there's, I mean it's really cool how quickly this is yeah this has happened and that he's getting involved in these things. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, it's it's just, it's a little, just a little bit hard to get your head around because he just seems to be everywhere with everything that that's going on. What was the comment you made before about um, he's like Batman, yeah, <laughs> real life Batman, just yeah. to the rescue, throw some money at it. Yeah. gadgets and whatever gets it sorted. I mean, like, it's interesting because for them, um, it must be a good practice for, I don't know what you call it, like critical response when you're kind mm. of planning to go to Mars. Um, uh, I'm reminded of the movie The Martian, you know, and mm. you see kind of how NASA would theoretically deal with a sudden problem to have to solve and however long it, someone says it's going to take, you have to do it in less time. And um, I think... Uh, doesn't matter what it costs it just kind of has to happen so it's awesome that he is in a position that he can do that it's incredibly at first it seems like it's probably a bit arrogant of him but it's incredibly risky for someone mm. in his situation to do it so yeah because what, um, what, what if he sent this thing over and they decided this was our best option or they were convinced and you know we put somebody inside a metal tube yeah uh you can't see their well-being and how well they're doing and so on there's no. there's a you know, fair bit of uh risk to that too right that's so right and you know he's got so much riding on his reputation at the moment that yeah it's just a massive risk for him to take so it's good like i, mm. I guess mm. as long as nothing goes wrong <laughs> <laughs> Well, people keep talking about it, and I, you know, I, I guess a, a cynical, uh, you know, pers- person might say, "Well, uh, look, his guys have done the numbers, and uh, basically any cool thing that they can do and get them in the media uh, might be the equivalent of a you know hundred thousand or a million dollar advertising campaign." That's right. Uh, and 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 look, you know, they they have a um, a, a model, and you know, they were talking about this at their uh, their media event, which was with the journalists uh, when they when they um, uh, 
did the the sort of um, their their pre opening of their their new showroom and service center in, in Auckland the other day. And uh, yeah, they were highlighting. Oh, you know, we don't advertise. You know, no. so uh, look, we're relying on you journalists to give us all this free coverage. They, <laughs> they didn't say it quite like that, but they were basically saying we don't advertise. Yeah, uh, and you know that that's a that's a challenge for some of the media, of course, because you know they kind of also need the the big successful companies that they're writing about to uh, uh, chip in and buy some buy some advertising <laughs> but uh, look they will all publish anything that uh, that that happens you know to do with uh, with, with Elon um, yeah it's it's, a, it's yeah, very, the, um, very fascinating he's um, the hot news yeah yeah and look For we now. keep talking about him on this show yeah. um, and mostly because he's, he's he's doing cool stuff right I mean yeah. this is this is really neat so uh, um, yeah Keep it, keep it coming, keep it coming, Elon. Um, I'm not going to buy any shares in your company, so mate. Uh, um, now the other um, the other story that uh, caught my attention was around uh, crypto jackers uh, being being arrested, and there was a news story a few days ago. Um, I think it was in in Japan where uh, you know some someone someone got in a in a spot of bother, and I think you know they had only. Uh, um, yeah, well, only they, you know, they they had, um, you know, been crypto mining through other people's uh, computers, which is not a uh, uh, really a good a good practice to uh, for, follow. No. Uh, there's a bit of a uh, bit of dodginess going on, in, in order to do that, uh, and this this case in uh, in China, and I was only able to find one write up about it, so this could be complete uh, uh, rubbish. Um, but I looked this this site up, um, and you know, in terms of their incoming links and things online and they they looked uh, they looked reasonably uh, reasonably legit uh, finance magnates.com was the uh, the site but they've got a photo from uh, from Bloomberg and they're they're ref- referencing a uh, a legal news source in China called legaldaily.com.cn uh, and what they're saying is 20 people have been arrested over a crypto jacking scam affecting millions of computers uh, across uh, across China and um, yeah, it looks looks like these guys could be in, in a whole lot of bother because uh, um, they mined over two million dollars. So there's a you know, big amount of um, yeah dollars. I'm presuming that's US dollars uh, involved. And uh, look, they were doing it on uh, you know, other people's uh, you know computers through mm. you know, no doubt hacking websites and inserting code into. Uh, into these websites and uh, yeah the, the Chinese are uh, yeah often not very uh, not very forgiving and uh, you know <laughs> no. there's, there's there's some harsh things that can uh, that that can uh, happen uh, there and oh the uh, yeah there's a reference here to the um, uh, the Japanese guy who was sentenced it was one year in in uh, in prison in Japan um, so yeah in terms of what the what the consequences could be in china um be interesting well, to see the contrast it, it might be uh somewhat rougher i would i would pick yeah it's amazing just i guess with the sheer size of their population you you've only got to capture the tiniest portion of the tiniest market i mean that's what 0.1 percent of people in china mm. and mm. all of a sudden two million dollars easy easy wow. easy. easy there Inverted you go commas. Bum, bummer about the uh, 10 years hard labor <laughs> <laughs> gets thrown thrown at you and uh look i, I think 
yeah, hopefully it would be it would be somewhat more balanced than that. But you you just don't know, right? Mm. So um, yeah. Um, now the other the other topic I thought would be good to have a uh, just a, a quick chat about it because we we talked about it um, yeah very briefly before we um, started the podcast um, was ha- how how we sort of keep our phones and phone numbers these days and uh, you know you were you were mentioning you, you use the iPhone uh, iPhone ten uh, but you've you've know, gone on to a, a, a temporary one up to uh, <laughs> very temporary uh, half the face falling yeah, off yeah, yeah. Uh, phone and um, I think it might have been you mentioned you know your your, your uh, wife's scenario she's changed her number recently yeah she um, works for a company and got stuck with the whole two phone thing hated it um, and because it was an Android phone she's an iPhone user and she's like very loyal like she just knows how to use it and that's and so I had to kind of talk to the company about taking the iPhone into, well, it's her iPhone, but taking her phone number into the business just to be able to use an iPhone for her work. Um, and it felt very difficult. And to be honest, for her it was because the whole porting the number into the business was hard. But I quickly realized most of the communication I have with her is via our iCloud stuff. So messages all go to the same spot anyway. And it's kind of... The phone number SIM card thing is a lot less complicated than it used to be, I feel. Like even having to move yeah. to a temporary phone last week. I've actually done it. There was another phone I tried first and then it wasn't working properly. Yeah. So I, but I had to do it three times in three days and it was pretty easy. And the SIM card was the it's, it's getting a, It's getting a whole lot easier, isn't it? And yeah, it's not something I'd sort of sat down and, and you know considered too much. I know you know some of the guys on our um, guys and girls on on our team um, will have you know different scenarios. So uh, you know we've got one person that was uh, you know just decided look you know don't really need a company you know a company number even though we're you know offering for it and paying for it and yeah. and a, you know device and so on um and you know the whole mix of other scenarios you know two phones uh some wanted a phone with uh two sim slots they have their personal number as well as their work yeah. number and yeah it just and then your comments it sort of got me to think yeah oh, well you know i've had the same phone number for yeah probably at least 15 years but if you know, if I did need to change it for whatever, you know, whatever that scenario were to be, um, how much hassle would it be? And actually, I think it's probably less hassle uh, than it's ever been in many ways because mm. any organisation that needs to contact me is likely to have an email address as well as a phone number. Um, and, you know, with friends, well, you know, Facebook Messenger and the like is, is one of the many mechanisms through which you can connect. Many, so, many. Uh, it's, it's, um, you know, it's, it's just not the sort of problem it would have, uh, it would have once been, right? No, it's not. <clears throat> I think what, what is interesting, though, is you saying how, like, people turn down the company phone, um, which totally makes sense. But I've noticed also the flip side of that is the inherent not providing a company phone because you have one. I've had that experience a little bit. And I, and I think that's something that a lot of employers probably take for granted is they feel like they don't have to provide one. There's some interesting lines there too, isn't there? Because, uh, yeah, some people will, and, and in fact I had this with somebody I was talking to uh, last week, and uh, the, yeah, this particular you know, person 
uh, a contractor to, um, to 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 one of Gorilla's clients, and uh, yeah, she her comment to me was, Paul, I you know I don't want to use the mobile app that you're suggesting because my phone is my phone. I don't do any work. I don't do anything work related on it. Yeah, right. And so she said, look, that's the line I like to draw, and you know I've certainly come across that elsewhere, you know, as well. And I was like, oh, what are you trying to do here? So so easy. You could you know just do it with an app on your phone. No, no, it's uh, you know I, I want that to be on my company device, so that mm-hmm. needs to be on the on the you know the laptop that the that the company provides. Okay, yeah. okay. Um, so you know you've got all these different types of scenarios. Then you've got yeah uh, a business that might look and say, well, actually the the tool that will serve the purpose we need you to do is a uh, let's say it's a um, you know a smartphone that might be a three hundred dollar smartphone, mm. but. You know, and maybe this is more like your wife's scenario is like well you can have your Android smartphone that will provide um, oh oh you've got an iPhone well, where does that fit in yeah, yeah. and then an organisation has to think about uh, you know be what BYOD type models bring your own device and well what do we do what does that mean for our mm. our data and how much control can we put on you know an individual person's own device in terms of you know forcing them to secure it in, in varying ways so uh, yeah, there's some interesting challenges there. there is. It sounds like a headache. Yeah. Um, but I, th- I think that bit of changing phone numbers is, is probably less of an issue than it has ever been. And, you know, now you mentioned, you know, your wife's ported the, her number to the company. Now the company owns that. And if you don't have any sort of written agreement, then at the end of it, you know, she might not get that number back. Now, I don't yeah. know what you want. No, you I totally, place, that was but, one thing I you know, warned her about. I was yeah. like, well, you know, it can be hard to get your number back out of those companies. Yeah. And kind of it's a, it's a big, you know, big corp multinational yeah, yeah. you know doesn't isn't flexible then uh, you know the, the, the big achievement was getting in and you might you might never get it out but yeah, yeah right. every, every firm uh, is different but you know those those are things you probably want to be aware of um, going in ask me again after she leaves and I'll yeah. tell you about the change in number part. <laughs> um, yeah so now on to uh, on to trickle I want to hear what uh, you know what the, the story is now um, I met you at uh, Vodafone's event where they announced sort of the the what would you what would you call yourself? The winners, the selected few for their uh, yeah. The, the, the word cohort has been thrown around, yeah, yeah, which I think okay. is applicable. Okay. Um, yeah, the, so I was, their, their zone program, right? Yes. Um, maybe just a quick rundown on what that that gives you, and then you know you can tell us where where uh, trickle you know fits in and so on. Yeah. So Vodafone run a program called Zone X O N E, um, which it's its third year running this year. Uh, and what it is is really just a business accelerator for small startups that have some technology component. It doesn't mm. have to be strictly like software or anything like that. Um, and they take in a range of teams each year. Uh, they they whittle it down to some finalists and you go down to their space in Christchurch and pitch against a panel of uh, it's a you know Dragon's Den style pit. What was that like? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, incredibly uh, nerve wracking. <laughs> I, I I hadn't done anything like that. It's the first kind of thing I've applied for, so I didn't really know what to expect. And I I also it was there was nine panelists. I think I couldn't I couldn't even that's, tell you. That's quite intimidating. Right? Yeah, after I mean, the day, I couldn't tell you what their faces were. It was just like so scary. And there's lights. There was cameras because they, they were yeah they were videoing yeah. it for their promo segments and whatnot. Right? Yeah, that's so, right. Yeah. So it was um, yeah it was very intimidating. 
I just put lots of animated GIFs in my pitch because that's kind of what I used to hide my nervousness. Um, yeah, so there was, I think, 15 teams pitched that day and then they, they ended up selecting nine of us. Um, and yeah, so we're part of a six-month program, runs till the end of the year. It's um, primarily two days a month uh, sessions down in the Vodafone building in Christchurch mm. um, run by a bunch of Vodafone execs and... Um, all types of advisors that they get in um, we got paired up with we have like a general advisor that's helping all the other teams and um, we've been paired up with some execs that kind of help the area that we're in um, so just to kind of see how Vodafone can help and it already mm-hmm. sounds like they can help in some much greater ways than I, I when I applied I was like eh, phones beer I don't quite yeah see the match but um, uh, once I thought about it a bit and once I pitched to them it, um, it kind of came through so yeah and it comes with a bit of funding too which was really going to help um, especially as someone who's building hardware of course yeah yeah, yeah. so so run run us through uh, what you're doing are you going to make beer free for uh, for everyone is, <laughs> that, is that what you're going to no. deliver it's going to be you know advertising funded beer or something no or, I'm, uh, no I'm huh? free beer is not what I want <laughs> or want people to get um, yeah kidding. so tri- trickle is yeah it's a platform for uh, managing beer taps and tracking poor activity on a beer tap. So um, we focus on two types of bars. One is like a craft beer bar where you might have anywhere between three and 50 taps. Mm. Um, but the beer you pour changes every keg. When you run a business like that, there's a lot of admin associated in just changing the beer from keg to keg, like mm. working out the price of the vessels, um, updating the numerous systems used to run the business point of sale websites all that kind of thing so we have an admin component that just takes care of all of that we connect to whatever system you've got Mm. and publish it everywhere so what can be a 20 minute um, process of changing a tap turns into hopefully about two minutes Um, we do a little bit of smarts like helping suggest what beer to change uh, to rotate it out with and that sort of thing how do you do that you 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 must be collecting a whole lot of data i guess around what what beers are being you know going through taps and varying bars and yeah that would that, that data would actually be quite valuable i would imagine yeah definitely so we we use a service called untapped which is like a social media for beer drinkers um they have an api that lets us we we use their api to get as much data about the beer as possible and reduce the data entry for the bar owners um, and then we take that and look at things like the style of beer, um, the ABV of the beer, the breweries, how big a brand, how small a brand they are, and try to help the bar have a kind of an even distribution of what they've got on tap because you can't just have like a big rack of double IPAs and like one lager and that sort of thing. You mm. kind of you might need a cider or something like that to kind of even it out for yeah, yeah. all the punters. Um, yeah, so that's the management part of it, and then. This year, we just finished um, kind of an alpha testing of doing live pour tracking where we put a flow meter on the beer line and record with about 99, 99.5% accuracy every beer that's poured out of the keg. Um, so it just goes uh, as close to the coupler that connects to the top of the keg mm, as possible. Mm. Um, and that way, we just kind of manage to keep track of everything and we can reconcile it against point of sale so we can highlight things like theft which can happen wastage which often happens just bad pouring techniques um leaks and taps anything like that that's really that's really cool because you know these days as as things get more and more 
competitive, the more data driven a business can be. Um, yeah, that that can be you know make be the difference between sort of being a profitable business and being a loss making business in some cases, right? That's so. right. And, and selling beer is really hard like that. Sometimes the margins aren't great, mm. um, depending on the kind of beer you sell. Um, so we try and it, yeah, it's as much about reducing wastage as is reducing the amount of time involved and all that kind of stuff because mm. Mm. you know all those things cost money and there's just so much opportunity to reduce that stuff. We, we even, we look at things like uh, the velocity that a beer is selling at. So we can kind of say, well, look, this is probably going to run out at 7 p.m. on Friday. You don't want to have to change the keg then. So that gives them the opportunity to take the keg off and put it back on later when it's quieter just to finish mm. it off or bottle it off for staff or whatever. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah, great. And so the the gadgetry that you're using to, to do this, what is that? look like and you know how you connecting up and how, how many bars have you already um you know got the technology and because you are a, a part owner in a bar yourself right i am yes so um we have a few bars across new zealand using the software the management component mm. um and we're just talking to a range of bars we've just done a trade show where we're now talking to a few bars who are really interested in the flow meter part of it so the hardware at the moment is quite a specific flow meter that i've managed to source um, I've tested so many from AliExpress in all corners of the yeah, globe. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I found a really good one, and I connect that at the moment to a Raspberry Pi, and I'm having that um, ported to an Arduino, where it's going to be a bit more, uh, a bit lighter as a piece of hardware. Um, but they, that's basically it. You connect that up to the tap, and then you're away. Mm. And it just feeds data back into your database and um, away you go. Yeah, and it's an, we want it to be an open platform, so we have an API. The data always belongs to the bar. Mm. Um, we're looking at how we can feed it back to brewers and that sort of thing, or even distributors. Um, put that data on the blockchain somewhere. You have yeah, to, you have to put that in there just to get that, out how to get the blockchain extra, in there, but uh, <laughs> stand by. Um, yeah, so, and then even things like uh, keg distribution companies because... I don't know if you've noticed, like, you'll go to some bars and there'll be a stack of kegs mm. lined up. Um, so, yeah, so as you said, I own a bar um, over on the North Shore called The Beer Spot, and we we have 41 taps. We sell a whole range of beers. They're all New Zealand independent beers. And we get so many kegs just pile up outside that we've lost count of them. Some of them have been there, I think, 12 months. Um, so there's just all of these problems in the supply chain of brewer to drinking beer mm. that we're trying to kind of help with and um who are your potential customers is it just the bar owners or you know, you've got some you know, particular major players often in uh, um you know in this field in terms of the you know your, your really big brewers and so on yeah um, would that be a potential a potential channel for partnerships as well yeah totally um i mean if you pour beer on a tap the flow meter part is pretty applicable to you um, we've priced it in a way where you are almost 100% likely to be losing more than that beer in a month it, like at $20 a month per tap. Right. It's yeah, somewhat yeah. of a no-brainer. Yeah. Um, the, the small hardware cost disappears in no time. Yeah. Um, and you think you can make a profit at that, at that level? I think so, you yeah. Hope, you hope so? I hope so. Oh. <laughs> Vodafone think I can. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. 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 
Oh, that's very cool. So where to from here? Is there a lot of uh, development work for you with the, you know, on the software side and, you know, integrating these bits and pieces together? I guess once you get to a certain scale, you want to get your own devices sort of, you know, custom manufactured and so on. Yeah, that's right. We we got some um, Callahan funding last year. So we did a little um, product design project with um, uh, Blender, a company in Albany, who were really helpful in showing us what our own hardware could look like. So Callahan are paying for beer now. Callahan, yeah, they're, they're very generous. They're very generous. Because some of it has to go into product to be able to do your testing. Yeah, on totally. Device. It was all R&D. Like, it was just about <laughs> looking into, you know, what was... We drank a bit of beer while we did it, but that's that's part and parcel for it. That's not what the money was spent on. But, um, but yeah, that gave us an idea of what our own hardware looks like. So yeah. that's definitely the vision. But it's that's a very big hurdle. And right now, um, while we're kind of still early and scrappy, it's just about kind of getting what we can out there, and it mm, works mm. just as well. So mm. it doesn't matter to the to the end user. Yeah, and are you seeing others around the world that are doing something similar, or is this the sort of thing if you move pretty quick on it that you've got a, a you know a strong opportunity um, globally? Um, it's there are certainly other people out there using flow meters for this sort of thing. Um, Excuse me. A lot of the businesses are somewhat kind of older, more incumbent, and mm, mm. it's a lot of it is focused around the wastage part. Like that's what a lot of them talk about, um, and not so much about the data part and how valuable that is in knowing. Because it's not just about the data at the time; it's about being able to look at it. You you see much more about how your bar operates per minute than just by looking at things like sales, especially if you're a bar that runs things like bar tabs and all that sort of stuff because you just don't quite get the same visualization of where's my peak where's my early spot like when can i send a staff member home Mm, mm. Um, so that's the kind of stuff we try and highlight for for bar owners and we're collecting a lot of data that we don't even know what to do with yet Mm, mm. have you seen you know um an interest from bars to yeah, take this data and maybe make some of it available sort of publicly. You know, imagine that there's there's all sorts of things that a bar could do in terms of, you know, with their online presence or, yep. you know, automated tweets or Facebook posts, uh, you know, this much XYZ was, you know, drunk today or this yep. was our most favorite, this was the, you know, favorite uh, beer today. And, yeah, there's probably a whole range of things that you could do in a manner that people might find interesting without it just being, oh, what's this stupid automated tweet to actually like, no, oh, that's, you know, it's, that's, you know, it's quite cool stuff. Yeah, that was one of the drivers um, when I developed it for the beer spot was we sold beer, we sell beer online. And because it's in the keg, you need it to happen instantly. Like if someone orders something, you need to make sure it's fulfilled while it's still in the keg. So this gave us the ability to take it offline as soon as it was empty to greatly reduce reduce the risk of someone buying something that we'd already sold out of. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that was just like the earliest thing. There's In the US, there's bars that run like a virtual stock market of beer and they mostly do it just by kind of the sales. But I'd love to see that kind of thing where you can say, well, look, there's only 10 litres of the really good stuff left. So that's the most expensive. Up goes the and, price. And yeah. So drink the other stuff so that they can get through all their beer a bit more evenly. Yeah, that's re- that's really interesting. The um, yeah, a bit of supply and demand model, something, yeah, yeah. Uh, some sort of uh, you know price modelling like what airlines do, and doesn't have to know. be all the time. It's just a bit of a novelty, like oh, yeah. Thursday night or something. 
lot, lots of lots of possibilities. He could, you know, collate all the all the stats across you know a whole range of uh, bars of getting you know real data of knowing. You know, we get music charts. You could have your beer charts. Yeah, of, that's right. You know what's uh, what's selling well this week, or yep. you know. The, the tables are turning on this one product yes, or it's, yes. you know, swinging in another direction. Um, that'd be quite fascinating. I mean, I, I certainly, you know, imagine, you know, people that are uh, investing in, uh, uh, you know, some of these uh, breweries and so on would be, uh, would, would, would be interested in the, in the data. And we obviously got, um, you know, publicly listed uh, companies in the space as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. There's yeah. been some interesting incidents. Um, I was talking to a company in Australia and, a brewer there saw someone check into a beer that he hadn't made for like a year and was like, why is that still on tap somewhere? And because of that whole like notification tracking system, he managed to like call out the bar and go, why are you still serving that? Like you should have sold that ages ago. And the guy was sitting on it to try and like sell it off like later and be the only one that's got it. So um yeah again like that supply chain thing it's like so interesting because there's so many people in it and they're just not all kind of connected enough sometimes mm, mm. oh it's uh it's really cool thank it's you really cool i didn't know i'm not a big beer uh beer drinker but um look i've now we've added a tech angle to it <laughs> uh, see it suddenly gets a whole lot more interesting there we so, go so that's very cool uh thanks thanks adrian um now if people are interested in getting in touch with you what's the best way to um you know to, to connect um i'm on twitter adrian with a w that's my normal twitter handle yep. has been for a long time um yep. the you can go to trickle.beer if they're interested in trickle and Learn more about us, and Find I'm always day. open to an email or a phone call. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's good. Or they can uh, pop by and uh, and see you at your bar from from yeah. time to time. When I'll probably be there, there sitting in the corner soldering or something. So just come and say hello. That's cool. Yeah, that's cool. Excellent. Oh, thanks very much for joining the podcast. Thank you for having me. Been a pleasure. Yeah. Well, thanks, everyone, for listening in this week. Uh, you can catch us back again next week. You can track me down, uh, Paul Spain, online on uh, Facebook, Twitter, or LinkedIn. Pretty easy to find in uh, in those uh, places. Um, yep, we've got a, another great guest lined up for next week, so uh, we'll look forward to chatting again then. All right, see ya. The New Zealand Tech Podcast. Brought to you by Gorilla Technology, proactive and strategic IT.